Redefining Possible, the game-changing guide to overcoming barriers and accomplishing your goals, is now available in audio form on audible.com. What would happen if you escaped the familiar grind of your day-to-day life and started living out your dreams for the future? Authors Ron Alfred and Dustin Hillis, both record-breaking business coaches and sales leaders in their own right, lead you down a proven path to achieve maximum impact in your own life and the lives of others with simple strategies to break through the barriers of belief and create your new, more prosperous normal. Filled with relatable anecdotes, actionable tools, and targeted affirmations, Redefining Possible will inspire you to get outside of your box and live a happier, healthier life. Hear how from the authors themselves when you download Redefining Possible at audible.com today. Learn more at redefiningpossible.com. Welcome, Ron, and welcome, Dustin. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Dan. Well, it's going to be a great time to, to share with you. You know, one of the great strengths of the book is that you have stories at the end of each chapter that are, are real people, people that have gone through different situations. But I'd like us to make it even more personal and extend this to a conversation about how to apply these principles to things in this country and around the world. And the inspiration that is in Redefining Possible is a huge part of helping to overcome some of those difficulties and challenges. So I thought I'd throw out a couple of scenarios and, and get each of you to, to comment on them. And how, how would you apply the principles of this book to help deal with the things that people are facing on a, on a regular basis? Uh, Ron, I'm going to start with you, if you don't mind. Let's do it. You know, during, during the pandemic, millions of people found themselves out of work. Many lost their businesses entirely. So I'm, I'm really curious, from the seven principles that are in the book, what inspiration or guidance could you help us apply to someone who has either lost their job and heavily curtailed or, or, or lost their business. We're going to kind of dive right into some of the really difficult things. Yeah, boy, that's a, a, a real one to start with. That's a, I think your word lost to me, anytime we lose something that is of great value, our business, our, you know, obviously a loved one, or even just miss a goal. To me, the first thing that stands out is faith. And, and what that looks like for each of us is, is different, but I think there's a, there's a commonality of it because faith is represented in a lot of ways. And, and uh, I love studying history. So if you study Shackleton or, you know, go back to the Great World Wars or you go back to so many things in history where people went through hard, incredibly hard times, stuff that a lot of us can't even relate to. And the ones that came through it, if anything better, are the ones that had this undying, unwavering faith. I love that word unwavering, like where it's just a steady, there's nothing that can knock me off course. And in our book, you know, Dan, we talk a lot about affirmations. That's one of my favorite things to think about, talk about. It's just, man, I love working on strengthening faith and being a man of faith. And faith in myself can be one big one. And, and we talk in the book a lot about confidence anchors. So if I go back to times in my life, we can go back and we can draw deep into that kind of reservoir of our memory and, and dig into confidence anchors because anchors stick us, they steady us through times of turmoil, right? And, and that's the whole idea of that. And so, and then that comes back to present day, which gives us strength for the moment. So I, I know for me, every week, there's something where I have to draw on that. Obviously, some of them are deeper than others. Let, let's dig a little bit more deeply into this notion of, of confidence anchors, if you don't mind, Ron. Mm-hmm. Are, are you really saying that everybody has things that they have accomplished and they've done well and they should feel 
strength from past achievements. I think that's true as well. But what prevents people from actually accessing their confidence anchors? In your opinion, why do people tend to focus on the things that went poorly or that they didn't succeed in? So that kind of covers up the confidence anchors. How can they excavate those? Yeah. And man, I'm guilty. And that's, that's a human tendency. And so it takes intentionality. It takes me waking up. And if I wander into the day, I'm going to probably start to focus on my mind will shift into to, to neutral or negative. And, and so I have to be proactive. I have to be incredibly intentional to think of all the positive things that I've been provided with, all the positive things that I've been able to, that, that someone's helped me get through. We talk a lot about having vision boards. We actually have talked a lot with clients now and, and with our own coaches and ourselves about having confidence anchor boards now, where it's, it's literally a vision board of things you've done. So it's hmm. things that maybe five, 10, 20 years ago you had a goal for. And then it also just really strengthens gratitude because you can go back and say, man, I didn't even realize that that has happened. That trip I wanted to take, that raise I wanted to get, that, that new home I wanted to clean up or whatever it is. And our dang human tendencies to kind of forget about that or discount it or kind of like, ah, eh, well, we, 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 we act like it was just a fluke, but no, really drawing in on those, those victories. There's none that are too small, no matter how small it is. I think it's like, that's like me. One of that's another one of my favorite affirmations. Anytime you have a little victory in the morning, you have a great workout, you wake up on time, you compliment your spouse, whatever it is, that's like me. And, and that takes practice, but giving appreciation that you're, you're, a lot is going right. And then when something's not going according to the plan, you, you can draw back on all those victories that you've had. They're, they're, more, they're more real. They're more top of the list. You said something I'd never heard of before, and that is to make a visual reminder of past achievements. So a vision board, the way you guys have always described it, is a future look. You know, the things I want to have, things I want to be, have some amazing things. But what you're really saying is we can do a very similar thing with past achievements. How, how would somebody go about constructing that? You got it. And, and this is tricky because I think a lot of us like, will feel like, oh, well, that's just me bragging or that's me. It almost feels like there's, there's arrogance tied to it or some sort of patting yourself on the back. But if you can do it in a way where maybe it could be a journal, it could be, it doesn't have to be something that's displayed for the world. It's not like you putting all your trophies on the wall. That's not the point of this. This isn't a beat your chest. Like, look at me, look how great. This is not that at all. This is something where it's like giving thanks for all the gifts I've been given. Hmm. I, I can vividly think back to times where, man, I, I have had big setbacks in, in, in business and in personal life. And every one of our listeners can, can relate to that. And something good came out of it. So it's going back. I mean, you can literally go back to the high school days. You can go back to collegiate days. You can go back to your first job when you got that raise or you interviewed and got hired and you beat out other people that were interviewing. That stuff all counts. And so if you have a vivid picture, our minds, of course, think in pictures. So if there's any type of a picture that can represent it, that's power, quite powerful. Worst case, just write it. And, and having a journal of some sort to look through um, and just keeping track. I know it takes time. But then when these things happen, we can draw back on those strengths. It makes such a difference. I love your use of the word intentionality, Ron. We have to be purposeful in noting the things we've done before to create these confidence anchors. In fact, you know what image just came to mind? The image that hit me is if we're flying a kite, the kite is our vision board. But we're holding the kite. We're held to the earth by the power of gravity. That's our anchor. Mm -hmm. 
and that's our past achievements. And if we're not anchored, the kite's not going to have any way to do anything except fly away. So this is phenomenal and inspiring. So thank you for that. So what I'm taking from this is be intentional, make some time to actually write down things that are, that are past accomplishments, not to blow our own horn and not to get complacent. But when things aren't going well, realize fundamentally we've got tools, we've got background, we've got things we've overcome before, and we can get through this one. And the power of faith is really believing that something good can come at the end of that, which is, uh, is inspiring. You bet. Those confidence anchors literally help you stand an inch taller. They help you kind of realize, like, okay, th this has purpose. There's nothing that's, that's, you know, coincidental. This stuff all has meaning. And it helps you realize, like, I'm going to get through this. I had a quick, Dan, this is a very quick, I was with you in Las Vegas. I don't know how many years ago. Uh, we were about to speak to Bridgestone Americas, all the Firestone leaders in America. And this is a, this is an example of one that really stands out. I had done a number of public speaking events at that, at that point, this was years ago, but this one really intimidated me. This was like roughly 2000, just grizzled tire veterans. And I'm not a car guy. <laughs> you know, these are just like 20, 30 year veterans of the auto industry. And they're all like in, in Las Vegas in this auditorium, like arms crossed. And uh, I'm the next speaker up for these guys. And they're just going to eat me alive. My, my, my mind is thinking, what am I going to do that's going to inspire these guys? <laughs> and I remember it because this becomes unconscious competence. Unconsciously, my mind went to a place of where I was able to kind of tap into some confidence anchors of all those other times where I was nervous and had goosebumps and felt like, what if I say something wrong? What if I mess up? What if this? What if that? And, and it was able to kind of tap into that confidence anchor board of no way, this is going to be great. We're, we're going to totally just be ourselves, have fun with these guys, be real, be authentic, do everything we can. And it always turns out good. And it was really powerful. I was able to breathe again and somewhat stop sweating a little bit <laughs> and go out there and just have some real talk and actually look people in the eyes and have some fun. And I just, for me, that was a real blessing to look back on because it made a difference. And, and even later that night in the casinos, a lot of them were like, oh, it was a great talk. And I was like, thank you. <laughs> so, so breathing generally several times a minute is highly recommended. Yes. I think that's fantastic. <laughs> uh, I'm going to shift gears now. I wonder if, Dustin, you could share some things that from your learning and from the things that are in the book that can help people not really label as much and figure out how to have more conciliation a better conversation moving forward. Yeah. Thanks, Dan. And man, thanks for giving me an easy question. Also, this is a <laughs> no problem. Uh, so I'm a big fan of history and I'm a big fan of, of looking way back into the past and, and seeing is history repeating itself and are there lessons that you can learn that can lead you into the future. And, and it's interesting how people humans for a very long time going back, uh, very far back, have created labels to control people. And labels are a powerful thing. And it it, it almost can become, uh, if you allow it to be like a game in your mind where you don't get upset, but you can kind of sit back and observe what's happening in the social dynamics before your very eyes. And when somebody raises their hand and says, I'm a Republican, or somebody raises their hand and says, I'm a Democrat, to really ask yourself, really? 
you are a Republican and you are a Democrat, is that it? There's nothing else besides a few political talking points that it constructs your entire way of thinking. And I think that the media, the world, uh, society, uh, unfortunately, has done a terrific job of polarizing us to the point where we think the way we vote determines everything about who someone is. And, and it's sad, really. And uh, to the listeners, uh, you know, a small group of people that make a decision to not be controlled by what other people tell us uh, it, the way we should think. And it, it, it does involve a freedom of your mind. It, it involves breaking free. I read an article recently where there was a 90-year-old man who was in World War II and he was part of Hitler's uh, Nazi army. And he later assimilated back into society. And the journalist asked him, why in the world would a seemingly normal person volunteer to join the Nazi army? And his answer was, freedom was too difficult. And so for us to not allow our minds to be controlled by being told by some political party, this is the way we should think, is something that I, I think is, is critical to redefining what's possible, creating a new normal, and breaking through belief barriers. I think nationalism has problems, and I think globalization, uh, being a, a, global, a globalist, is a, is a problem. To say I'm a nationalist or to say I'm a globalist, it's like, what? Really? <laughs> it doesn't have to be one or the other. I, I actually am an e-citizen of Estonia and go to Estonia all the time, uh, travel the world. I, we, I have friends on almost every continent that I love dearly. I was at a wedding recently where one of our Southwestern Advantage team members married someone who had family in Russia and got to spend a dinner getting to know what it's like in Russia right now. And they are people just like people in America, just like people in Mexico, just like people all over the world. Yet, if you watch the news, it's hilarious. I asked them what their news media in Russia says that it's like in America. And they said, oh, there's people dying on the street. You have no health care. Gangs are killing people. <laughs> their media made it sound just as bad as the other. So when it comes to the principles in uh, Redefining Possible that could help you, I would highly recommend going to Vision. Vision actually can be the cure that will resolve polarization. Vision can be the cure that could resolve family tension. Vision can be the cure that actually resolves the problems in our country. In, in the Bible, it talks about without a vision, the people perish. And I think we are a people that have lacked vision. And there are commonalities that you can find in vision. Uh, here at Southwestern Family of Companies, we're a diverse group of companies. We have about 20 different companies in our family over a dozen different industries. We're in dozens of countries all over the world. And I promise you that it doesn't matter what label you would, you would assign to someone on the outside. At their core, people want to be good. People want to be kind. People want to inspire others. People want to help others. Um, sure, there's going to be outliers and jerks and people that are just bad apples, but it's the rare, that's more rare than it is the common good. So to start with your vision of the type of person you want to be, the type of family you want to be, the type of business you want to be, the type of country you want to be, is where I would uh, say we, we need to start. And then 
Second thing is, what do you want to do? So when you're creating your vision, there's three core components. The first is being, which is the most important. Second is, what are you going to do? And um, without action, then everything is just a dream. It's not a vision without action. You're just dreaming until you put a plan together to do something. So what are you going to do about it? Then the last thing uh, that I would end on is, what are you going to establish that has a result attached to it? So when your vision is without a goal, then it's hard to know whether or not you obtain that vision. So if our country had a goal, if your family had a goal, your business had a goal, or you had a goal at the end of this year, at the end of five years, and at the end of 30 years, then you'll look back and, and all the problems seem to go away. All the insignificant things that, that might be a point of difference uh, don't seem so significant because you have such a massive vision that the problems get minimized. Hmm. The very first principle you guys talk about in the book is sharpen your focus. So sharpening the focus would be go beyond this labeling and see the person for all of what they are. Mm. It's yeah. like if somebody says they're a Democrat, say, darn, I thought you were left-handed. <laughs> in other words, we are multiple things. Love your, it. Your concept of let's just stop the labeling. Let's dig really deeply and realize that people are people. And that's what it's about. I think that's yeah. Last immensely I, encouraging. I, I, in the book, we talk about, um, I was labeled in college as uh, ADHD. I actually lived into that label for a few years. And there's a lot of people that are listening to this that probably have had a doctor tell them something like that. And uh, as soon as you break free to not let that define you, then you can redefine possible. Hmm. So, so not letting a doctor or a parent or some, and usually it's the people that are closest to you that can give you that label that, that you allow define you. Only you can define you. But finding that identity that's bigger than a label that someone else gave you is so important. And it actually segues into the confidence anchor aspect as well. You know, who, who am I? Who am I really? Who am I when all the things around me are stripped away? And that can really help a lot in connecting humans. So fantastic analysis. Well, let me, let me throw another one out to, uh, to, to both of you. How can we apply some of the principles here if somebody finds themselves in a situation very suddenly that they don't feel qualified for, that they don't feel prepared for? It's like, wait a minute, how, how do they avoid the sense of panic and inadequacy when they're thrown into a situation that is like this? Great question, Dan. And Ron, I'll, I'll take a swipe at it first and, and then uh, we'll have you go uh, if yeah. that's okay with you. In the book, we, we talk about a technique called raft and the amount of testimonials as recent as today, uh, Ron and I heard a first person testimonial of someone who read the book and was able to apply it in her personal life. And it made a huge difference. And so this is a technique. It's an acronym. And uh, for those of you listening, if you wanted just to write down this acronym, this could help you in so many different situations. So raft. Uh, stands for the R of raft is you have to first realize a negative event is happening or just an event in general. It could be good and it could be bad. Sometimes good events can be just as distracting as bad events. Uh, the way we define an, an event is important because a lot of times the people, are, we are all on the treadmill of life and we don't even realize that something has happened that is an event. And just your uh, emotional intelligence, your self-awareness and your social awareness can create this, this flag that goes up in your mind that goes, wait. 
an event is happening to me right now. And what, what we define that as is anything that gets you off your schedule. So you wake up in the morning, you have a plan of what you're supposed to do. Something happens that interrupts whatever that plan is. There's your event. And just training yourself on a micro level. So say a flat tire, that's an event. Um, getting very sick, that's an event. One of your best friends dying, that's an event. Um, and so just letting yourself become this, this barometer of going, am I in flow? Am I in state? Am I on schedule? Or am I having a pattern disrupt? And is there an event happening? That's step one. Step two is the most difficult step, but it's an essential step. And is it is the A of raft, which is you have to accept that this event is occurring. Now, sometimes there's things that you can influence and you can, you can change, but nine times out of 10, most big events that are outside of your control that are happening are just going to happen whether you like it or not. Um, trauma is real. And it doesn't mean that you need to be like cold, like the Iceman. And, and if something very traumatic happens, you have to go through the stages of grieving. But at some point, you could go to a counselor, you could go to a therapist, and you could pay thousands of dollars to that therapist to help you with some trauma that you encountered in your life. And you know where that, where that therapist is going to guide you towards? Acceptance. Mm -hmm. Uh, that, that's what they do. Uh, and, and you pay them a bunch of money. And ultimately, at the end of the day, you accept that this very bad traumatic thing happened. Then you then and only then after you accept it, can you go to the next step? And the next step of raft is the F, which is focus on the controllable. <laughs> and what's nice, and, and I learned this from you, Dan, is uh, my very first year in Southwestern, you got on stage and, and said, there's three things that you can control. It's your attitude, your schedule, and your activity. And I've put that to the test, and I've tried controlling a lot of other things in my life, and it has caused me pain and suffering. <laughs> but when I let all the other things that go that I actually am not in control of, and I really get my mind wrapped around, I can control my attitude, which is the hardest thing to control, but you are in charge of your attitude. So you're choosing whether you're in a good mood or a bad mood. You're choosing whether or not you have fear or you have faith. You're choosing your attitude every day. Second, your schedule. Most people think they're completely out of control of what time they go to bed, what time they go to sleep, and what they're doing during the day. Your schedule is actually something you have a lot of control over. And then the last is activity. Uh, and activity can be defined in so many different ways, Dan. It could be the books you read. It could be the people that you're hanging out with uh, for working. It could be the, the work income producing activities that you're controlling. Ultimately, the last thing that is the most important is the T of raft, where you transform the negative event into positive momentum. And that is the key, is you can then slingshot something like a pandemic uh, or some horrible event into positive momentum. In the book, we talk about uh, Brett Favre having his father die, and he decided to dedicate that next football game to his dad and had one of the best games that any quarterback has ever played to win the AFC championship. Uh, Michael Jordan having the flu and playing one of the best games ever in uh, the, the championship with the Bulls. And the list goes on and on. 
And so uh, ultimately, I, I think that's the, the best example uh, that's in the book on how to uh, respond to negative events. I think that's tremendously inspiring. And more than that, it's practical. So realize an event is happening. That's anything that could throw us off our stride. Uh, accept that it's happening. Try not to pretend that it's not happening because the head in the sand technique only results in you getting a lot of sand in your head. Um, <laughs> and then focus on the things we can control. And there's always something we can control. It may not be much, but it's something. And then transform this into some positive action. Transform it into momentum so that we move. Ron, you and, uh, and your family, of course, have dealt with incredible tragedy. When you have a child who's not yet five years old diagnosed with leukemia, uh, you didn't sign up for that. Well, what would you add to this whole question of what does some, how can somebody apply these principles when they're in a situation where they just don't feel qualified or able to cope? Yeah, Dan, that takes me back. And, and just even listening to Dustin, too, I think the, the piece I would add most is not going it alone. That example, when we got that news and realized an event was occurring, you know, you go through, we all go through grieving time and, and trying to process something. And I had not been able to accept my situation. I was resisting it like crazy. And I still do that to this day with things that happen on a more daily basis. And that's why I think to me, the people I get to associate with, like being around great people. I mean, I, I, I literally think of people like you, Dan, that I met 27 years ago and how would, would people that I've looked up to for so long that I've read about or done life with, how have they handled turmoil, how have they handle heartache. And, you know, there's, there's small groups I'm in. There's uh, other various things where for me to get out and not put my head in the sand, even though that's what I wanted to do, you want to just stay in bed. How do I hide right now? But obviously that wouldn't serve my son. That wouldn't serve my other kids. And that, that doesn't serve anybody. And so getting out and really leaning on people. And so I, I, I call it kind of the practice of killing pride and trying to crush ego and, and arrogance because pride thinks we can do things alone. We can, if it is to be, it's up to me. I can forge ahead. I can handle this. I, I, I. It's very self-focused. And I just fall on my face when that kind of stuff happens. Or even if I hit a goal, it doesn't feel very meaningful. It wasn't like I've had goals that I've hit in my life where I, I did it alone. It wasn't very satisfying. And then there's other goals that you hit when you do it with people and, and because of people. And it's just like, man, that is lasting. That is just, there's such a deeper joy that comes from that. And then also those times of heartache or when we're trying to process pain and trying to, you know, or an event to, to use Dustin's, you know, illustration, man, those people will be there for you. Those people that love you, that care for you, they're lifting you up, they're encouraging you, they got your back. There were people that, that came out of the woodwork that I still to this day have been blown away at the humanity. And guess what? I don't care if they were Republican or Democrat. I don't care if they were left-handed or right-handed. Man, they just cared about my family and my son. And, that, and then obviously as our book turns, the, the real climax of our book is how can we be that for other people? It helps you realize like, okay, there's been so many people that have helped me through hardships. How can the things I've been challenged with be used for good to help others through their, their struggles? That's when, that's when stuff gets really significant. Mm -hmm. Boy, what a fantastic addition. So Dustin first shared the raft technique. And then Ron, you said, don't go it alone. Open yourself up to other people. Because anytime we decide that we're the only one that has ever lived that's going through this, then we feel pretty isolated. But we realize that other people have had these feelings and there's ways they've gotten through it. That's, that's really what it's about. And the sources of support come out of nowhere. 
people that you have no idea even care. And they're there, but we have to be open to it. It's fantastic. It takes more strength to ask for help than it does to try to do it on your own. It's the opposite of why people don't ask. Yeah, the, the sense of I should be able to handle this by myself. I should. There must be something wrong with me. A stronger person could do this alone. That's a, that's a mis mistake to think that way. It's believing a lie. You know, I talk to my kids about this. They're probably nauseous about how much dad talks to them about truth versus lies. And when we mm. believe lies, when we believe a story, when we run with this story, when we let it mushroom and versus trying to get back to what truth is. So these are, these are principles that are enduring, that are powerful, that make such a difference in people's lives. So what would you suggest to someone who sets extremely high standards for themselves to do in order to help them set a more reasonable standard? In other words, some people that they're, their objectives are, are so high that potentially they never hit them. You know, what, what could be done to help this person feel like it's okay to set a more reasonable standard? And do you think there's value for that? Yeah, you just need to really lower your goals. Next question. <laughs> Everybody's a comedian. Just take it easy, guys. No, I think that actually the pressure comes from comparison. Comparison is the thief of joy. And so when when you're looking, I learned this lesson actually from my wife, Kaya. I did not understand this. So my whole life, I would I would look at other people. I would look at other people who were better than me at sports. I would look at people who were better than me at work. And it just, it, it, there was always this comparison game happening. And it, and it never made me feel like I was doing anything right. Uh, and... The, the best example of this was a, a guy named Dave Brown, who's now a senior partner with Ron and I, our business partner, and one of our really good friends. Dave and I both set the goal to break a company record at Southwestern. On my best day that I ever had, it was 400 units. I, I called and I didn't actually get excited because I sold my the most I'd ever sold. I wanted to know, did I beat Dave? And I actually did one day. The next day, Dave went out and sold more than me. And I had my second day best ever but I was upset because they had beaten me and I uh, called my wife uh, who was my girlfriend at the time and said, you're not going to believe this. Dave Brown sold 400 units today. And she yawned and was like, okay, so what? And uh, I was like, well, do, do you not think that this is crazy that, that uh, I had this goal and this expectation I was going to, I was going to finally beat Dave Brown. And, and then I didn't. And she was like, no, not really. And I asked her, well, how do you think? What do you do to calibrate your mind? And she goes, well, it's simple. Every day I just go out and I just do my dead level best. So what are you going to have for dinner tonight? And that's all she said. And it, it literally changed my thinking forever towards the way I set goals and getting to know Kaya better. And now she's my wife. It's uh, it's really how she operates. And, and Ron was actually her manager. So it's funny. He, he knows this story from another perspective. But um, the more you you set your goals to live into your life calling, the more you set your goals that you're on a mission and that you're living into your vision, uh, all the pressure goes away. Uh, you're, you melt away the results and you have unconditional confidence because conditional confidence is dependent on results. So if you hit your goal, you hit your result for the day, the week, the month, or the year, then you're feeling good, you're on fire. But if you don't hit that result, then, then you don't feel like you did it. But ultra producers, people that just consistently win, people like Tom Brady, 
sure he wants to win the Super Bowl, but Tom Brady is not comparing to Patrick Mahomes. Tom Brady is playing against Tom Brady. And that's the reason he wins Super Bowl after Super Bowl after Super Bowl. He's playing the game against himself. So as soon as you can turn the game to be your game and your rules and one that you you know, hey, if I do these things, this is this is how I can win for my game, you become an unstoppable force. Well, Tom Brady's personally inspiring because he proves that aging people can still achieve well. <laughs> That's right. That's great. Ron, I'll throw one to you. When your job is dependent upon others who are not pulling their weight, how do you keep driving when you have to fill in the gaps? So assume that you can't control who's on the team, so you don't have higher fire power. You've had numbers of conversations. How do you cope with that situation? Great question. Yeah, I'd, I'd hit one. One is taking, you know, for me, it's easy to see the trees instead of the forest. And so realizing that oftentimes, I, I think a lot of us can relate to that, those moments. But a lot of times those don't, those don't last. Like big picture thinking, ha there's so much growth that happens there. And really thinking, even though it's not my responsibility, that's where ownership, we talk a lot in the book about ownership, trying to take ownership to empower those people. It's not my quote job title to be their boss, maybe, but still how many of us around here and even people in, in different parts of our industry, maybe it's referral partners, maybe it's whatever. I hear so many humans talk trash or, or, or slander their counterparts. And it's like, how can we affirm them? How can we build them up? I have a, a verse of the year in Titus 3, 2. It talks about slandering no one. And that one has just been on my mind so much because it's so easy to just say, oh, they're idiots or they're so unorganized or they're this, they're that. And being hyper aware of your tongue and how powerful it is. And when you affirm someone else, Instead of critiquing them, I've messed this up as a dad so many times where I'll critique my kids and it rarely ever helps. Like I'll, and, and then I'll empower them, I'll affirm them, I'll, I'll find what they're doing right and I'll praise them. And man, it's crazy. They'll live into that affirmation even more. They, they grow, they get better, they see each other getting affirmed and they want to be affirmed. And, you know, and it's really just empowering. And so even if it's not your responsibility, maybe speak some life into those people. Appreciate them. Thank them for how great they are. Thank them for how they show up on time. They do a great job. They mean such a big deal to the team. And I, and I bet it makes them walk a bit taller. I think that's a fantastic observation. Uh, Dustin, you, you talk very openly about your family life in the book and things that you've gone through. What is your idea of balance between enjoying life, being with your family versus devoting your time toward accomplishing something huge in your career? Mm, great question. I guess to start with, Balance is a joke unless you're a tight rope walker. <laughs> if you're if you're walking a tight rope, then balance is very important. I actually believe in the power of unbalance intentionally based on the season that you're in. Uh, there's been seasons in my life where I needed to tremendously unbalance myself to focus on my family and my marriage. And, and uh, it, it, it deserved a majority of my time and attention and effort and everything that I had to get us through uh, some seasons. Um, and work uh, has been in seasons where when I became CEO, I sat down with my wife and said, hey, are we ready for this? Is this something that, that this is going to be an unbalanced season for us as a family? 
and and we looked at it like a team sport where we both agreed that that we're ready to take on a role like this and we knew it was going to unbalance us towards having to work more than what we were working um when my daughter was born i took uh i unbalanced to be with her and i was at home and and i changed every diaper for the first two months that my daughter was born and so so i think you're constantly doing that um friends the same way uh you have to be very intentional so in addition to the 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 balance and unbalance i think the next thing is um the word capacity and i get this question a lot about how in the world can you do all the things that you do with the family of companies and and take on more and this and that and i get inspired by people like elon musk who just believe that your capacity is what you think you can actually do and what you can handle. And as soon as you say the words, uh, I'm, I don't have bandwidth or I don't have capacity to do something, then you're right. But um, if you're experiencing stress in your life, actually question your systems versus your capacity. And if you constantly press the systems to be better, uh, you'll become more efficient and more effective. And it's really about quality. So if you have quality time with your kids, quality time with your, your spouse, quality time with your team members, uh, you don't need to talk with them uh, every day, all day. They actually would get bored of you and, and it would have a point of diminishing return. So I think between seasonality and quality and intentionality and focus, uh, mm -hmm. those would be the things that you can accomplish a lot more than you think you can. And it, and it doesn't have to necessarily be balanced because uh, a quality isn't a real a reality. It's always based on merit and what deserves that attention for that time is where to put that effort. Mm -hmm. Thank you for for sharing that. Boy, I hate this. We're we're going to have to wrap up. I do know that I have personally been impacted by each of you, by the examples that you set, by your willingness to influence, not just by example, but by time. You spend time with people. It makes a massive difference. And the labor of love that you created when you created Redefining Possible has certainly helped me, and I hope it will help everybody. So I really want to thank you both again for all that you do. 